Welcome to the Surveyor Hub podcast, brought to you by Blue Box Partners, the only show dedicated to small business residential surveyors and valuers, created by surveyors for surveyors. In every episode, you'll learn something new about the vibrant and thriving industry of residential surveying. We don't mind what flavor of surveyor you are or what level of experience you might have. If you're in the business of helping people with their homes, this is the community for you. So hi, Alan. Great to have you on the podcast today. Hi, Marion. Now, can I ask you, please, how do you pronounce your surname? It's McKeown. But most people just say McEwen. McEwen, McEwen. I try and practice these things beforehand, but I'm not very good at it. And um, now you said it, I can't remember again. McEwen. Yeah, that's that's spot on. I I get everything known. The delivery drive today had McQueen or McGowan or anything like that. But they get Alan right, right? Most of the time, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you see, no one gets Marion right. I get variations of Marianne, Marilyn, Maureen. Muriel, yeah. My wife's cursed because she's she's got a first name that's it's not even a real name. Her parents named her after Nadia Komanetsky, the the gymnast. Olympian, yeah, the gymnast. But they decided to try and make it sound posher, and they put a H on the end and said it's Nadia, and it's not even a real name. <laughs> so she's had that whole life, and then she married me, and now she got a surname as well as a first name that she has to has to battle with. <laughs> Now, when you're a surveyor and you're going to see people in their properties, it's always really hard sometimes trying to pronounce people's names, isn't it? And depending on which patch you work in, the the diverse cultures that we have, it is really, really hard. So we've just got to go with it, haven't we? (laughs) Just got to go with it and ask. We shouldn't be embarrassed about it. And I'd rather someone ask me how to spell my name rather than really give it a bad guess. I, I sort of take that approach with people. I think people prefer it if you're straight with them. And I don't think they're offended. You just say, you just say, what? Well, not. How do you say that name? <laughs> so, Alan, tell me a bit about your journey into surveying. Oh, I sort of accidentally fell into surveying. It's not something I ever set out to do. Um, I don't think I knew what I wanted to do. Like a lot of people, I finished school. I was quite academic, and I did university degree and then I just fell into an office job which I did for many years and I hated it hated everything about it and what sort of prompted a change in what I was doing is uh, initially I fell ill I was, I was very ill actually I was in hospital for a couple of months uh, it said that I had Crohn's disease and uh, then when it came out I recovered it was trying to find ways to manage that and where I worked it didn't really help with that and at the same time, my dad, who was originally a quantity surveyor, he ran construction companies, things like that, he had not long took on a franchise running a, a company dealing with damp issues, mostly sort of condensation, mold problems for homeowners and uh, tenants. And uh, then he fell unwell. He had a heart attack. And as he was recovering, he needed some help. And I was in a job I hated and it wasn't looking after my health. So he just said, why don't you come and work with me? And I thought, why not? I'll give it a go. And I just spent about a year learning from him, like literally everything. And he's quite a meticulous guy. He loves buildings. I can see now, now I'm in the world of surveying, I can see how he was very much of that ilk. He loved architecture. And I, at the time, I thought it was quite boring, but he'd point things out to me in different brick bonds and how things were built and made. And I, like a sponge, took all of this in, subconsciously a lot of it. And, um, yeah, and that was great. And then after a year, he was just kind of like, 
you're good to go on your own now. And he took a step back, let me crack on. And, you know, I ran this damp company for a few years and then there wasn't much legs left in it. And I thought, well, what am I going to do now? And he'd come across Sarva because he, when he took on the franchise, it was a toss up between that or doing the home inspector course. And he opted for this franchise, which he was made up. He made that decision because obviously things didn't go great for a lot of people with that. But yeah, so he suggested that course and, and I went down that route. Um, uh, everything's happened by accident, really, in my career. It's at the same time I decided to do that. I'm running this uh, this damp company, which is basically a sales job, but involves surveying to determine why a building's damp, what we need to do to fix it. Uh, so I'm running that, sign up to do the you know, the Sarva course. So I'm studying concurrently. Uh, is, is that a word concurrently? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, and then at the same time, I had some, because I built up a good customer base. I was, you know, I'm not arrogant, but I was quite good at what I did. And I was good at building relationships with people. And I had people come to me and said, look, I don't need to buy anything off you, but I want you to have a look at this problem we've got in this house. Can you come and give a survey for me? And I had about five or six, in a few months, I had about five or six different people who weren't linked to anything, all came to me asking for similar type things for different reasons and I thought why not so I just charged for me time went out gave him advice on and, and I had yeah and I, and I liked it and I, I, well, one thing I didn't like about my job I, I loved my job the surveying the independence of work for myself I never felt comfortable selling um that was a bit of a downfall really but um I, I loved the defect side the investigation so so when I was asked to do that specific role um i absolutely loved it and i thought oh this is great i'm glad i'm doing the of course and yeah so that's the route i went down I finished the course and that's i'm doing what i absolutely love now you know what when you do what you love and you find your niche it just becomes easy yeah you know, and, and i often talk about our surveyor superpowers the things that make us good at what we do and for me it was quite a, a turning point a few years ago when i just realized I do what I do. I just happen to do it in the world of surveying. You know, I'm, I'm a people-led problem solver. I, I liked dealing with the complaints and claims and the problem solving and the defect, um, uh, you know, so investigation, that that kind of thing. But once I realised, it was just like a switch in my head. Once I realised, oh, this is what I do, you know, sometimes a job can really define us. And there's so many different types of surveyor. you know, and even when we went to the residential, you know, you see it on the on the surveyor hub. People, you know, like to niche and like to do different things, you know. But we shouldn't let the job define us, because because yeah. we're all uh, we're all different. But it sounds like you sort of, you know, you say sort of fall fall into it. I hear that a lot on this podcast. You know, you fall into it. You landed on your feet, got lucky. But sometimes, you know, I think we set these intentions subconsciously in the back of our mind. Wouldn't it be great if? Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if we ended up, you know, I did this or we ended up doing something like that? You know, it's it's just subconsciously, you just, once you start to do that, you then start to see the opportunities that are in front of you. Yeah. I, I think that's the case now. Now I'm in the role I'm in. I, I realise I'm in something I, I really love and I'm, I'm good at it. Um, you know, I'm 
not saying I'm the best surveyor in the world, but I know I'm good at it. And there's, there's certain avenues I want to go down. I know where I want to be now and what I want to learn. Uh, I mean, next week, I'm starting a course in conservation with the CIOB. And that's a road I definitely want to go down to be a recognised conservation surveyor. But yeah, I mean, prior to, even when I was running the, the damp firm, I liked doing that. But beyond that, I didn't have a clue. Uh, just, I've never, I suppose I've never been an ambitious person or already driven. I'm sort of happy with my lot in, in many ways. But now I've seen the world I'm in now and I can see what else there is involved in that. Like you say, there's so many different flavours. There's elements of it. I don't enjoy, I don't want to touch, which part of it I absolutely love. And uh, the more you go down those routes, yeah, you keep seeing more and more and different options. And there's, you know, I, I can't imagine if someone wrote a list of every different type of residential survey it could be. I mean, there must be hundreds. So, that you know, whatever you enjoy and you find, I suppose it's possibly, I don't know if it is, it might be a little bit easier for me because I'm working for myself so i'm not driven by an employer who has a certain workload they need you to fulfill i can sort of take my own avenues and mm. you know i can go down what if i don't enjoy that i'll jump onto the next thing and, and, it, can, and it's, it sounds like rather than be ambitious and look to grow your business actually you can grow professionally and personally and just do courses that you love do stuff yeah. that you love why not yeah you know and, and if work comes out of it you know there's an element of you know yeah you gotta be able to pay for it but at least if you're doing a job you don't like you know where the money's going you know to pay for the, the course you like but that whole yeah, I, I that totally resonates with me and that's something I talk about a lot just sort of finding your purpose your values what's important to you and sometimes we can't articulate that and sometimes it feels a bit marketing spiel to you know, come up with that. But it's just do the stuff that you enjoy and love because you just have fun doing it, you know, and, and things do things do work out. I, th- um, I think a lot of... Oh, sorry. Go on. I was, I was going to say, I think a lot of that as well is... Well, it has been for me anyway. I can't speak for everyone. I can speak for myself. But it's, it's a lot of its confidence. I suppose that's one thing I learned working with my dad was... I've never been you know, an overly confident person, especially within myself in, in sort of a job environment. I never, you know, in previous work, I never pushed myself forward for anything. But working for myself or working with my dad and working for myself, he, I, I learned a different way of, of doing things. And it was my dad's approach was just tackle things head on, just have a crack at it, give it a go, figure it out. You'll be all right, you know. Uh, and, and that was, I've, I've always been someone who likes my comfort zone. And I, I was, you know, stay within my comfort zone. I was very ponderous about something different. But when I started working with him, I just it just naturally happened. I started doing things similar to him because I was learning off him. And that's the way I, the, the, I, I did so many things in a short space of time I never thought I would do, you know, in that line of work within a couple of years I was you know I was in networking groups I was interacting with other business people I was doing presentations even CPD presentations for rooms of letting agents and and also and and you said you didn't like doing sales but that's all that sales is (laughs) yeah yeah I I suppose it's a difficult one that if you speak Mm -hmm. with people who that's their sort of field um, they they will tell you that everybody's a salesman and, and that is correct I think a lot of us fall into the trap, but when we talk about sales, we're kind of talking about, you know, greasy-haired, fancy suits, sort of hard sell sort of person, which is a bit unfair because that isn't sales. Then just like, you know, we talk about surveyors, what do they look like? 
grey haired, lack of hair, yeah. you know, in the 50s, yeah, male. Older men you know, with a clipboard. And... <laughs> we've all got ideas, but it's just not like that, you yeah. know. And, um, yeah, you know, it's just just breaking down those barriers. But the, the, the sales thing, I hear a lot about actually of you know, they'll get other people to do it or it's easier to come through websites like Local Surveyors Direct or Really Moving and uh, and those kind of things because, you know, our superpower as a surveyor is to do the technical stuff. But actually, you know, it's it's not that difficult to get sales in if you understand what you're doing and if you're selling something that you love. And if you can talk about something passionately, yeah. you know, you can get... You're, you're exactly right. If it's something you, you love, yeah, and it's something you believe in and you love, you could just naturally sell it in many... Mm. And, and that's what... I mean, when I said in my previous work, it was a sales role. That's where I did very well in it. I, I never pushed any sale. I even told people, no, don't buy this. Go home, think about it. It's a lot of money and then come back to me. I had that sort of approach and, and I did very well. And... You know, I don't know. So if that, that's the approach that came from my dad. It was a customer first sort of thing. I wanted to find somebody's problem, help them, and then if there's something we've got that can help out, great, have it. But it was more about pointing them in the right direction. And, and I suppose uh, that side of sales, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with, and I do that now in the coming role. You know, whenever you meet, you know, anyone really, a home buyer, uh, sorry, um, a vendor when you're talking to them essentially you're being a, a salesperson for who you are and you know they're going to move house one day and you want them to sort of get a good impression of you and then and if you're meeting you know sales agents or mortgage brokers it's yeah. all relationship building isn't it really yeah. you know because you never know when these people are going to come around again uh, how is it uh so you work for yourself now how uh, how have you found that how the setting up of your own business and as a proper surveyor now yeah it was a little bit daunting at first i think that the thing working for myself that side of it i already had the confidence there because i'd already done it so i was <coughs> excuse me i was quite comfortable with you know most aspects of dealing with customers people what whatever what what i was daunted by was setting up correctly so i had all the right you know, insurances, checklists, paperwork, the right terms to send to customers. It was that side of it that I was quite daunted on. And there's nowhere where there's like a checklist. You, you know, you need to have that, that, that and that, and then boom, you set up. I, I, I hope there would be. I, I asked people for that, but no one had it. And then and then what I actually did was joined the SME group that you did. Oh, that, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. That was in, I, I'd only been you, going for yeah. a couple of it was last year, wasn't it? Yeah, started in yeah. started in December. We had a bit of a pre-Christmas meetup, and then we ran it. Yes, that's yeah. Because I spoken to Alan yeah. Appleby beforehand, and, and he said he said oh, the best thing you could do is join that. And I mean, at that point, I was already set up, but that that, that helped me a lot. Just getting the confidence of you know you're going in the right direction, you're doing the right thing, and then a lot of the other aspects of getting the work in. You know, I. Because of the crossover of what I do, I still do damp surveying and that work was already coming in. If anything, I could I'd scale that back to accommodate myself doing home buyers and building surveys. So so I had a bit of a comfort zone there that if there's not a lot of home buyers, I've got other work I can do. But yeah, initially trying to find home buyers, the first month or so, 
I had nothing, and uh, and I was trying all these compare sites and everything. And I was thinking, where's the work? Everyone's telling me there's loads of work. I'm not seeing any of it. And then overnight, it just hit me, uh, and then I was quickly inundated. So I was about four weeks ahead of my diary, and um, and then every survey tells me the same. That's what happens. You know, you're scratching around for a job, and then next minute your diaries, you know, you can't fit anyone else in, and it's um, feast and, or famine. Know, <laughs> it is, yeah. And you know, the the market is cyclical. You know, you just have to look at house sales, mandatory house sales, and you can see the the trends and the spikes. Um, I used to see that on claims, actually. You know, you could see someone had moved in and then usually about three months later, they'd either have a problem on day one, three months later there would be a problem, or, you know, sometimes about 18 months later when they finally got around to doing the decorating, you know, they'd start to pick up on, on problems. And it's always cyclical. And I remember looking at some stats a few years ago when um, Prince William and Kate got married and there was a double bank holiday. And you could just see this sort of double spike of, of uh, you know, in the in the charts. And, and yeah, it is cyclical and, and our market as surveyors will run after that. But, you know, just because we, we know that, so that means we can plan for that and we can either plan for our holiday and our work around it we can be plan, plan to be available to do other things uh, while we can't do our regular work. And the whole, you know, COVID and being out, you know, and not being able to go into properties, you know, if there's a lot of surveyors, that's it. You can't do anything. But we can offer things like consultancy, you know, using video and people just want to have a chat. You know, yeah. there, there's, you know, there's a lot of typical things you find in typical properties and we can still do that recorded. It's just a very different way of working. And like you say, you know, it's you go with the ebb and flow and pick up dampness surveys and things like that when you're not doing the home buyers. And it's having that diverse range of things you can offer that's not so diverse it affects your PI but different products that you've always got something that you can sell somebody. And that's the kind of thing that keeps you ticking over. And it's interesting, sorry, actually just jumping back, you said about the um, you know checklist of everything you need in business. And I mean, there are bits of t- checklists out there and, and within the SME hub program, <clears throat> Mastermind, that we were just launching that again, actually the next cohort. And within that, we've got a checklist. But the thing is, you need to do it yourself yeah. because especially when you're working for yourself, you need to go through it methodically, work it all out so that you can understand it because it's not the kind of thing as a sole trader, a small SME that you can outsource to somebody else. Mm. You know, you can outsource bits of admin, your accounts, your booking or, or whatever you're typing up. But when it comes to understanding the bones of your business and what's important you need to, particularly when you're firstly going through it, you need to understand that. And I think that's why, you know, Blue Box will never do it for you. You know, we've often been asked for, can I have all the paragraphs? Can I have, you know, all the <laughs> T and Cs? But every survey is different, just like every patch is different, just like every property is different. And, you know, a survey, in my mind, a survey has got to go through. I mean, having said that now, some bright spark will go and develop a survey business in a box and good luck to them. But I think you've got to under, understand it because you grow and you learn and you get to decide, don't you, how you want to run your business and how far yeah. you want to take the risk and, and push boundaries. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's spot on. I think you have got to... <laughs> If you, yeah, you need to make it your own thing and it needs to be in your own image, if you like, where what sort of surveyor do you want to be based on what type of surveys you're doing. And and 
what what's helped me a lot with it, it's and I think it's true of this profession, this industry, is how supportive most people are. And ever since before the qualified, I've like you're saying, people like to chat. I mean, even before lockdown, I mean, I've spent the last few years trying to make friends with every survivor could and phoning people, messaging people through like your hub, uh, through LinkedIn, all sorts. And I've made sort of a lot of, you know, friends, acquaintances through, through these channels. And I've had an amazing amount of support. And, and it's just asking basic questions and advice here and there and, you know, throwing ideas by people. And that's, if you take a little bit of what everyone else is doing and, and adapt it to how you want to be, I think that's, that's one way of doing things. Um, yeah. And, you know, of, of getting your checklist, if you like. Yeah. How's everyone else doing it? You know, have a look at it and think, well, I like that. I'm not too keen on that bit. But, you know, you can make it how you want it to run. And I guess it's having the confidence to do that of how you want to run your your business. And you're right, it's so important to build that network of support and get to know other surveyors and and actually be open you know, be open and share what you've learned uh, as well as take, take, take. And I see that a lot with younger surveyors, I guess, and those who are looking for mentors, they forget to give back or they're not well-versed in it. You mentioned LinkedIn there, and um, I might not know how to pronounce your surname, but I do know you as Alan off of LinkedIn, because you do (laughs) quite quite a lot on there, don't you? Yeah, yeah. It's it's been a bit quiet in the last couple of months, but, but yeah, certainly... That, that's something I start, I'd been on LinkedIn for years when I was in my previous uh, sort of damp sales role. I, w- I was on LinkedIn, but I never found any good use for it. I didn't really know what to do. And it, I, I don't know don't know if it lends itself to overtly marketing a product or something. I, I see people doing that now to me and it just turns me off. But when I started doing the, the surveys for people, just as, I don't know, I suppose I just wanted... Um, some acceptance from my peer group. I just put a couple of posts on about a job I'd been to. You know, I saw this here or look at this defect there, bit of damp, whatever it might be, and just post it. And and people started liking it and say, oh, yeah, I've seen that in my job. And as surveyors, we love chatting about these sorts of things. It's God, it's boring to everyone else in the world, but it's something that we all love to chat about. And that, so that's where that's where it began. So I just kept doing that, and then I've, I I realised after so long of doing it, and I was getting more and more. I was going to use the word traction. You know, I've never used that word in my life. Turned into a salesperson. <laughs> I was getting more and more people responding and chatting, and uh, and then getting personal messages off that. People said, "Oh, I saw your post. That was great. I like that. And what do you think about this?" And and then after a few months of that. I, I, st- I actually got a couple of surveys off the back of it. People saying, oh, you seem to know what you're talking about. Do you think you could come and have a look at my place? And, um, and I thought, oh, wow, I didn't realise that was going to happen. And, and that wasn't my intention. And, and then since then, I, I, I suppose it's a little bit more, it, it's something that's built into my my business plan now, if you like, the way I use it during normal times. It's, uh, you know, I, I aim to do so many posts and the style and content of me post, the more they do it, I become more conscious of, you know, that's, you know, I suppose it's sort of not, not committing too much sometimes when you, when you write it, I, I try to keep things simple and, and easy to understand and just provoke discussion. Not, yeah. you, you see a lot of people put, say, say I, I post things about defects, for example, I see a lot of people do it and it's not, no disrespect to them, but a lot of people do that and say, look what this idiot's done here. 
and I see that and I think, oh yeah, and then I see the same person doing it again, and after a while I start thinking, all right, you know, tone it down a bit. It's it's a, yeah. it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because and it's music to my ears. You you talking about that because I know we covered this when we did the uh, the lesser me mastermind. I ran a I don't think you're part of it. I ran a little LinkedIn challenge about a month ago uh, while people were on lockdown to just get their profiles on LinkedIn and to understand it. And it's it's really interesting because LinkedIn surveyors were always telling me they're on LinkedIn. They don't do social media, Alan. They don't do Facebook. It's all on LinkedIn. And lo and behold, as we sit here today, we've got about 1,900 surveyors in the Surveyor Hub group. But, you know, they don't do social media. No. <laughs> um, and so that's what got me onto the podcast, actually, because I thought, well, surveyors are generally riding their bike or in the car all day. They can listen to some podcasts. And then the lockdown happened and nobody was in their car. But um, but when it comes to, to LinkedIn, it, it's interesting. I think you've got to use it with intention. I think it's important to have a profile because it acts like your CV yeah. and it's credibility. And when somebody, a client Googles you, it links through to the LinkedIn profile. So that's really, really important to do that. But the way you use it, you know, you can either use it for credibility, like a CV, a few posts of social proof, which is what you're doing when you're posting your case studies and things like that. Um, or you're using it as a sales tool. And, you know, you've got to be clear, is your market on LinkedIn? And for a lot of people, no, it's not. But they get caught up using it and it takes a lot of their time up. And you're right. I see lots of people. And again, another reason why I created the Surveyor Hub is I see a lot of people post pictures of defects. Um, firstly, they've got it wrong. Uh, and secondly, then there's a big debate over, oh, it's not that, it's this. And I've never seen that before yeah. in my life. And you're thinking, yeah, that's pretty obvious. Even I know that. Uh, and you're seeing all this and it's in a public platform. And any any customer, any complaint investigator or PI insurer or somebody, you know, can go on there and see you missing the most obvious defect yeah. or uh, getting into a Barney with somebody. And so it's important to have, you know, a closed space where you can where you can do that. I think it's important that we do show the life of a surveyor. And that's what I like about a lot of your posts. And that there was one that you did a little while back where I think you were did a survey and you showed some pictures of a roof and a little old lady, I think, had been ripped off by a builder or something like that. And yeah. I remember that got loads of um, coverage and you weren't complaining about it. You were just saying, God, we just don't do this. You know, it's not fair. And that's the way to make a lot of these posts more engaging. It's about people. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's about the defect. It's helping educate people. But it's also, and what that post did for me was show that you're somebody who cares about your work and you'll call it out when necessary and you do good quality. And that just came from one post. And if you're getting getting that kind of content out, then, yeah, that's how you use a platform like LinkedIn to uh, get business. I'm glad you you took it that way. That's, that's quite nice. I, I think what it really was that there's there's a few posts to see and people, I think it's very easy. And I mean, this across the board, people criticising on social media. It's hardly a new thing, but people saying, oh, typical damp proofers, you know, that, that's an obvious one. Bloody damp proofers, they've done this or... They, and I think 
I think, yeah, that's your initial reaction quite often. You look at it and think, oh, look at this damp-proof course again. It's unnecessary. That, But we need to stop and take the time and think about There's such a wider implication as to why this is happening. You need to get on site with these people and see how they work. I must yeah, admit. The, the pressures from lenders. The yeah, I must admit, I think that's something as an industry, you know, we do have sometimes this snobbery. I guess, yeah. you know, I'm I mean, I'm guilty Sevilla. of it as well. I'm, <laughs> you know, and, I'm in fact. Yeah, yeah, but, but across the board, you know, with, with all trades, there's this sort of sometimes one-upmanship. And that's got to stop because we've all got different training. Everything that's brought us to today is different in terms of our experience. We're walking into a property and, you know, no one's found the answer to what do, how, you know, 10 surveyors change a light bulb you know there is an answer for that <laughs> you know but there's um you know we've all we've all got to appreciate that someone's come to that point to give that advice to do that piece of work uh, in a different way and you don't see it from one snapshot i mean sometimes you see yeah. some silly things but i think it's quite sad that sometimes work is reflected badly and there was a debate the other day on the surveyor hub about things at like pca but damp oh, yeah. surveyors yeah. you know and you just think we well, have some really good qualified people there's some surveyors who are pca approved and equally yeah. there's some very poor rics surveyors and rpsa and you know everything else and we just got to cut that out and just all work yeah. together and that's what i'd like to try and see more of not just in the surveyor hub but on linkedin of more encouragement and constructive feedback that, that, that's actually my next article i've been trying to write but i just haven't been able to articulate it properly and I've ended up chucking it in the bin and thought I'll come back to it at a later date but it's along that tone specifically looking well the damp side of things because I think not everyone but it's a common perception that you know damp roofers are con men they just come to your house and they just whack injections in the wall and you know that does happen a lot but that's not the damp industry it's there's a myriad of reasons why these things happen sometimes it's customer or lenders led sometimes it's dave the handyman it's not a qualified damp proofer and the gist of it anyway my general point is i think you almost alluded to it is i think what we've got to do is say you know that's the real world that's what happens whether it's construction lawyers solicitors whatever that happens there's poor quality work that gets done at the lower end as surveyors, we need to see what we can do better to improve the situation. And that's understanding, in, in this specific example, that's understanding dampness better, or maybe not even just understanding dampness, but understanding how to advise the clients. Rather, I mean, there's a tendency from some surveyors to give sort of limited advice in these matters. And they think, quite justified in some cases, but just saying, I think there's a bit of damp, go see a PCA damp proofer and and i kind of feel well, i'm not sure there's enough advice there to the customer because you know joe bloggs who's buying his first house knows nothing about the damp industry well, you've got answer. to take into account the context of the report you know is it just evaluation rather than a survey but you're right i think we should be approaching particularly with the new home survey standards that's now delayed until december uh, this year uh, 2020 that you know you take the approach of you do the best job that you want to do for your customer that will help them achieve what they want and i think their new home survey standard could create real opportunities for people we shouldn't be worried about the tech you know and there'll be all sorts of different companies out there doing whizzy things with technology and templates and this that and the other 
I think for SMEs, I would almost be saying sort of hold tight, you know, let everybody work out what the best tech is and which one fails and go through the pain barrier, but actually work out what kind of service that you want to offer. It's up to you. You get to decide how many phone calls you give to your client. You know, is that even a question? You should just be available. But a lot of surveyors like to meet a client after the job, you know, or or afterwards and to talk through the report. That's the kind of goals star stuff that that people will pay for you know and and will expect but if we, all we give them is the same churn out stuff that's all they're gonna uh, yeah. ever know so i think it's a real opportunity to rethink the, the way that, that we do work you know that, i mean this is an area where i sometimes wonder i don't know if i'm too i don't know what the word is uh gung-ho so I, I, I just it hasn't concerned me the home survey standards i've seen a lot of discussion about it and it almost goes over my head a bit because I just, my, my first priority, I, I think, is I've got a customer and they've got an issue. What is your issue? Right, how can I solve it? How I package that and present it to them, for me, is the detail that comes after. First and foremost, it's helping that person. And, you know, I'm not tied to doing anything one particular way. It's, you know, horses for courses sort of thing. And, that, I guess, that's, I, and, and, I guess and the way I've the, seen it, it's just a general guide, isn't it, for people yeah, to be a bit better? Yeah, and I guess it's the... You know, there are some mandatory parts, there are some best practice parts. It's the level of, you know, what, what's expected and required as a as an RICS surveyor. And if you're using that that, that logo and um uh, and that badge, that's a sign of quality. Yeah, so it's it provides a framework and you know, it doesn't just happen overnight. Actually, it's evolved from the very first home buyer surveys that came out years and years ago. But it's been shaped by claims, claims on our culture and and the industry. And we've got a very fear-based away from motivation, I think, to how we write reports. So we put in caveats because I don't want to get sued rather than I'm going to put some good piece of advice in there because it's the best thing for the customer. And that's the towards motivation. And it could be on the same, it could be a similar paragraph on the same, you know, matter but how you write it and how you approach it becomes an away from and, uh, and very defensive rather than here's something really positive. And when you've got, uh, and it is absolutely right, uh, possible to do that, but when you've got a customer who then reads a report that's full of negatives and that away from reporting, it just looks like a pile of caveats that someone's cut and pasted yeah. together. Now, when it comes to standard paragraphs, I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel. I have no problem with standard paragraphs as long as they're used well and they, they're yours and they're, they're considered. Yeah. But you've got to write a report that will actually help people and what is the purpose of it. And yeah. that's where I think over the years, you know, just like we've churned out mortgage vials and churned out competitor sites to get the cheapest deal we've actually devalued what we do and and i think the home survey standard changes the rules slightly it's not it's not huge but it does create that opportunity for people who might be sort of stuck in their ways to think freer and think well actually how am i going to do that you know what really i can do the report i want i can do it on (laughs) pink sparkly paper with bells and whistles if i want to and you can you know, so long as it's within a within a framework. Yeah, I suppose that and that framework you say, I suppose that, that that's the balance that we need. I mean, I'm kind of newer into the industry from a totally different industry. So I came in of no preconceptions. I don't have that those years of, you know, 
that legacy potential mm-hmm. claims to to build up that fear within me so perhaps i'm quite vulnerable in some ways because uh yeah you know, i might open myself up more than a more experienced surveyor who can i ask you do you that. can I ask you do you worry do, do you worry about being sued and having a claim because because uh, lots of surveyors when they come into the job um maybe it's more value as i'm not i'm not sure but i do hear you know that oh do want to get sued do you worry about that not a lot, no. Uh, it's 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 something I'm aware of, and I think it might, it, you know, it could well happen. It's it's odd actually. There was one of my LinkedIn posts I did recently because because we're on lockdown. I, I've what I've done is delved into my archives of surveys from three years ago uh, and dragged out some photos uh, and put it on there. And um, and there was one of them. I put the photo on there, and somebody made a comment, and I thought about it, and I thought. Did I put that on the reports? And I had to sort of get me hard drive and find the reports. Did I put that? Am I? And uh, I did, luckily. So, but, but no, it's not. It's not something I, I don't have sleepless nights. I don't panic about it. After my first one or two surveys, I was probably a bit apprehensive. But after that, it's not something that's been on my mind. You know, perhaps when I get more customers who, you know, might. might it, it's going to happen at some point. I'm going to have customers who, for whatever reason, whether I've done a bad job or they're in a bad situation, they might pull me up on something. Uh, and I guess, point, I guess, in part, Alan, though, it's because fearful. I guess, in part, Alan, though, it's because you've been in a previous career where you provided professional advice to a client. So you know, when you're doing your damp surveys and things, you were doing sort of similar. You know, you've got to get it right you know you've you know how it works you know how to talk to to customers and when it comes to the claims that I've seen and for those that are listening that's my background defect claims and valuation claims it's that whole customer service piece it's that whole scope of the inspection you know what was expected those are some of the early warning signs that there's going to be a, a problem later on no definitely I, I suppose as well and I haven't really given it much thought but in my dad's going to be job, worrying now before, and having sleepless nights and yeah. that marriage <laughs> but, but before I did my surveying I mean now when I was just purely doing the damp work I mean the large majority of customers I had were great and everyone was really happy but I had I had about three or four quite nasty experiences with some customers but I came out of all of them unscathed and I kind of stuck to my guns. I kept professional. I spoke to the right authorities in every case. And, and I, I tried to almost head it off by, as soon as it got, it turned a bit nasty. I went to, it was, it was a National Landlords Association. I dealt with on one of them because it was a landlord. Compl- and I went straight to them and I said, look, this is what's happened. These are all the emails. You know, I want to be open with you. And and after those experiences, and they were horrible, a couple of them, there was a few nights where I did have sleepless nights, but, you know, I, I felt I reacted to it in the right way, and I came out with it okay, and I stuck to my guns. I could have given in and sort of even paid some of them for what they were basically after, but um, but I didn't, and, and it went well, and... You know, I, I lived another day, and I think those probably, because those experiences turned out positive, that's probably given me that bit more confidence in those scenarios that there was probably a hundred other potential situations like that but by speaking to people communicating being open and honest you know i avoided those issues from happening and And, you know on the opposite side you've then got surveyors who feel aggrieved that they might have to pay out something because you know something got damaged or 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 somebody wants a small 
national fee for something. And then you've got surveyors who stick their heels in on the principle. You know, and you've got to see the bigger bigger picture. Yeah. And claims and defect claims, and I used to deal with a lot of pre-completion valuation. You don't do valuation work, no. do you? No. So I used to deal with, um, with a lot of those. And, you know, there's it's really difficult because... For me, it was all about emotions. It's heightened emotions of the pride that people feel over the value of their property, the disappointment of when they move in and something goes wrong. It's like an emotional roller coaster. And the thing about roller coasters is you've got to hang on and you've got to grip really (laughs) tightly. And when you understand the emotional roller coaster, and yes, there's facts and figures and things that come on, when you understand that, it's a lot easier to know yeah. when to pitch an offer, when to stand your ground, when to hold, you know, send a deadlock letter and, and things like that. But it does happen to people. You will get a claim at some point, Alan, in the future, you know, but that's what your PI insurance is there for. Definitely. And that's what your network of support is there for. And I get asked lots of times from people, can I just ask? And, you know, I've had my own claims as a surveyor, I had, a, you couldn't make it up. I had a, a claim on my very first survey <laughs> and I had a claim on my very last survey before I then moved to take on an audit and complaints manager role. <laughs> and my, my first, it was to do with bracing in a, a on a roof structure. And I just wasn't confident enough. I just wasn't confident enough. I wasn't supported enough as a young surveyor. And I think it cost about £1,500 and I was devastated. And I remember phoning up my friend Max and just being in tears on the phone thinking this was the end of my life because I'd got this claim. (laughs) And it was a horrible, horrible thing. And then the last job I did before I moved, do you know what? I had to decorate and sell my flat, get married, move house all within three months. This is the last job I was going to do. And I wasn't paying attention. And there wasn't anything specifically wrong with a house it was just a little bit of this a little bit of that and it was just a you know a can't be asked on a friday kind of job yeah. and it cost five grand you know wow. i didn't deal with that it was dealt with independently but you know we all we all do it. and i understand why these things happen and yeah it's you know it's my emotions in the time as much as the the complainants uh, emotions mm-hmm. as well Definitely. But, it, but it happens and it's nothing to be scared of. It is just being prepared. And I think the more you can be prepared in your business and understand your business, that's why I come back to, you know, we talked about a checklist, you know, of out of the box. You know, you've got to create your own complaints procedure so that you know what happens and you can talk to somebody with confidence when they ask for yeah. it. Because if you don't know and say, oh, I'll, I'll send it to you, that just plants a seed of doubt. Yeah. You know, so being able to really understand your aspects of your business, it just oozes out of you that confidence. Yeah. Just a man that oozes yeah. confidence, Alan. That's what it is. <laughs> <If> only. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I, I suppose, I mean, I'm, I come from a background of my previous work. We had to get the job done and the customer be happy before we got paid. So there was an element of that. And, and I'm managing subcontractors and technicians have got on site. And, you know, we've had occasions where I'm getting phone calls. They've homeowners in tears because steve the engineers drilled through the water pipe and it's flooding the kitchen and it's yeah so so yeah i've dealt with a lot of different experiences like that and um most of them we always customers always happy in the end and it's i suppose it's just about managing people and and treating them and their property with respect and i think people appreciate that 
Yeah. One last question before we wrap up. Can I ask you about your illness and how you manage that? Because I know there are a few surveyors out there who struggle with ill health and it's a worry when you work for yourself that you're the breadwinner and how's that going to pan out? And some people have good days and bad days when it comes to their their health. And I just wondered how you how you approach that. Well, the, the illness, I mean, first of all, it's uh, it's Crohn's disease I've got, um, which um, it's, it's becoming more common, actually, or more of people aware of it. But basically, it's the immune system is overactive. So so it basically will attack itself. And, and so it can cause, you know, pain, basically, and swelling and ulcers, things like that. It's something that it's going to be there forever with people who have it and you have you can have flare-ups and you can be in remission and you know touch wood for the past three years I've, I've been fine uh, I mean I say fine I've, I've altered my life generally and what I eat what I do ironically I'm a lot healthier now than before I was ill before I was ill you know drink smoke whatever didn't care but since I got ill, you know, I've got a bit healthier. I got married, I've had kids, I've run a business. It's funny, my life's been better with it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but no, day to day, I'm just aware of what I eat. I, I, I am conscious that at some point it could well flare up. And at that point, it's it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Um, you know, my previous job, I did have to encounter that and being in people's houses. And it's in some ways, it's an embarrassing illness because it's the gut. So obviously certain things happen and you, you need to, well, you don't have much time. So <laughs> it's, uh, so uh, I mean, luckily I've not had a terrible experience with that, but it's, um, it's something to be mindful of. Up till now, I've been very lucky with that. But I guess approaching it with a positive attitude is one of the key key things, your, your, your lifestyle yeah. and the kind of work, stress levels, those things. I often talk about work-life integration and that's very important. The, the, the stress side is what definitely, for me anyway, that, that's what brings these sorts of things on. And I don't know, the last couple of years, well, I mean, I lost my dad a couple of years ago and that's when I was doing the, the going through the Sava course and I was trying to run the business and we had young kids at home. And that, to me, when I think about it, it must have been the most stressful time in life. But I was completely fine. Um, it's 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 funny. I think stress is a very odd thing. It's, it's before that period, I was more stressed, but for, for different reasons. Things that seem silly that, you know, can stress you out. I suppose more anxiety type things. I wonder also maybe um, you know so you can you can sort of pace yourself and you know but I wonder if maybe when you you said that you sort of yes you should have been stressed but you just seem to deal with it. I wonder if that was because you actually were doing work that you love and you were heading in the right direction because when you're in the wrong place working in the wrong with the wrong people or you know, married to the wrong person, whatever it is, it just gives you that underlying level of stress and not right, nothing's right with the world on top of a good or bad day. Do you think maybe that helps? Yeah, yeah. when you, I haven't really thought about that so much, but, but yeah, definitely, I suppose previous times I've been worse and more stressed. I was a bit, had less direction in my life. Uh, so, I mean, and I say when a couple of years ago, when we went through all that, you know, I've got a wife who's amazing. She's so supportive and she's by my side. You know, I've, I've, I suppose life now is, although there's a lot more going on, 
I'm doing a job I love and I've got, you know, support at home, which is, so I suppose that helps get through these sorts of things. Whereas, yeah, in the past, although I had less responsibilities, I was probably had less direction in life and, uh, I don't, I don't thought about it that much until you said it, Mario. Oh, yeah. Well, you'll have lots of things to think about now, how good life is now. Yeah. Mm. Alan, it's been really good to talk to you. Thanks for your time today. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah, super. Cool. You've been listening to the Surveyor Hub podcast. We'd love it if you leave a review and let us know how we're doing. And if you want to find out more about how we're making a difference, visit us at blueboxpartners.com. Thank you.